In Ephesians chapter 2, when the Apostle Paul is celebrating the grace of God, he says he made us alive. See, Christians are alive in Christ. But the Lord of the church spoke to the church at Sardis and said, you think you're alive, but you're dead. What a sobering analysis from the Lord of the church. Boy, we need to hear what he has to say to the church of Sardis. How can we be alive instead of dead? We'll find out today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. This great city of Sardis was pretty overconfident because of their location and this natural citadel, and they were invaded twice in their history. Um, In about 550 BC, what happened is Cyrus, uh, the Persian king, invaded this area. And he wanted to take it down, but there was no way to get there. And so, you know, you, you came to the foot of this mountain and you, you were faced with this incredible uh, Acropolis. And so what did you do? So the story goes, and it was, it's told by Herodotus, one of the Greek um, historians, that, you know, Croesus or Croesus thought he was fine. So he went to bed one night, even though the Persian army was at the base of the mountain. And they would only guard the one approach uh, to the city because that's all they felt that they had to guard. But there was a, one of the, um, the men that, were, that was guarding the wall apparently dropped his helmet over the side of the hill. He looked around, didn't think anybody was looking. He made his way down, picked up his helmet and climbed back up the wall. Well, there happened to be a soldier from the Persian army that was watching. And he went, aha, there is a way up there. He went and told the Persian king. The Persian king thought it was a good idea. And one by one, the Persian army began to scale their way up this wall. They found a way to do it. And they, the city was not really paying much attention. And one by one, the soldiers went up and the city was sacked because they thought that they couldn't be defeated. And so they left an area of the city unguarded. Here's what we are finding with the seven churches, folks. Every time you see some descriptions of the city and the way of the city life, often and almost always, there is a mirroring between what's going on in the city and what's going on in the church. And here's what was happening in the church at Sardis. They were not really guarding the gates of their lives. The enemy was coming in. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking what? Someone to devour. And so the church at Sardis had been overrun by the enemy army, not a physical army, but a spiritual one. And much of the church had died because they had left their lives unguarded. Now, I think you can see the application tonight. When we assume that we're going to be okay, when we leave areas of our lives exposed, when we think, oh, the devil can never get an entree here, it's unscalable, it's it's a perpendicular wall, he can't get up this 1,500 feet, Uh, I'm cool, I'll just guard this area of my life. What we find is the enemy can find a way. 
When we just put on one piece of the armor instead of the whole armor of God, right? When we don't think that we need, you know, maybe to go to church as often or pray as often or guard our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds. Well, they felt so secure that those who were in Sardis paid the ultimate price. Well, history tends to repeat itself, and it did. During the reign of Antiochus the Great, about 195 BC, uh, more than three and a half centuries later, after the Persians sacked the city, Sardis was rebuilt. But by utilizing the services of a sure-footed mountain climber, his name was Lagoras, he found a place that was altogether unguarded because of the extreme precipice near it. His army entered the city by another route while the defenders in careless confidence were content. They didn't guard this place. And this happened again under the reign of Antiochus the Great. And the city was taken again because they left the gates unguarded. They assumed that they were not going to be gotten to, but they were. And this is the problem that we have in our life. We often leave areas of our lives exposed. We leave areas of our lives unguarded. And the enemy can get a foothold. He can get a foothold in an area of our life where we may have unforgiveness in our hearts. An area where we have left resentment and anger undealt with. And all of a sudden we leave something exposed, something vulnerable, and the enemy finds his way in. And so we, we really, folks, have to learn the lessons that uh, God has for us tonight in Sardis. Um, my notes went away for a second, so let's read verse 2. Notice it says, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Now, each time a church is addressed, Sardis is addressed in verse 1. You could say, Thus says the Lord to the church at Sardis. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Now, the seven spirits of God, we've, we've looked at that in the past, and we know that the seven spirits of God may refer to the Holy Spirit himself in all of his fullness. There's passages in the Gospel of John, for example, that Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, It is to your advantage that I go away, for I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And Jesus said, I will send you another helper or comforter, and it is going to be the Holy Spirit, right? And Jesus sent the Spirit to the disciples, and the Spirit would be with them forever. When you become a Christian, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. In fact, the Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to you, guaranteeing your future redemption. We know that we belong to Christ because of the spirit that he has given to us. John baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the spirit. And the spirit gives us power. So the seven spirits of God probably here are a reference to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the spirit. The seven stars, we have looked at that in chapter 1, verse 20. Notice the seven stars, 120, are the angels of the seven churches. There are some commentators that believe the angels may be uh, literal angels, but we've come to the conclusion, I think, together that we believe that those are the leaders or the bishops or the pastor of each of those churches or the leading elder. Notice he says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, 
I know your deeds, that you have a name or a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, as we introduce the seven letters to the seven churches, I told you that someone has once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And as you read the seven letters, you can make application, I think, to churches across all history, all time, and churches in our day. There are some churches today that are absolutely dead, but the reason that they are dead is they are filled with Christians or at least professing Christians that are dead. And that is the saddest state to be. In fact, you would really have to say that a Christian can't truly be dead. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now, Ephesians 2, we've been made what? We've been made alive. So who is it that could be pronounced dead at the church at Sardis? I would say professing Christians. What is a professing Christian? A professing Christian is one who makes a profession without possession of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, do you think that there are many professing Christians in America who profess Christ in name? But in terms of reality, you'd have to say, I'm not sure if that person is born again. There are people who will check medical documents and when someone asks them, hey, if you're going you're gonna to figure out what you're going to do you know, at the end of life and that kind of thing, they will check, yes, I am Christian. A lot of Americans, in fact, they, they do polls in America and the numbers that come out of Americans professing to be Christians are incredibly high numbers. But these people seem to be missing from our churches. Because I don't see them on most Sundays. Now, they say they're Christians in name. But the, the fact that you can say you're a Christian is one thing. The, the fact that you are a Christian, of course, is quite another. So he says, I know your deeds, that you have a name. You, you say you're a Christian, that you are alive. A Christian, by definition, is alive. But you, says Jesus, are dead. What an indictment. Can you imagine if, you know, some churches do this. They ask outside consulting agencies to come in and assess the church. And it's always a good idea to get a healthy outside perspective. I'm not sure about what's done in the modern day, but it's always good to hear from a visitor. Hey, what do you see in our church? What do you think? Can you imagine if you got a written report from one of these consultant agencies and it was a one-line sentence? Our, our uh, sum summation on your church is, you are dead. <laughs> Close the doors. Nothing's happening there. You'd go, oh my goodness. That's, that's a sad commentary. But get this. The Lord of the church, who walks among the lampstands, walks among his people, his assessment of Sardis is it's dead. Dead. Now, when something is dead, here's the hope. God can bring life where there is death. That spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, amen? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, 
iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Visit the Walk in Truth store today and get the DVD series in Revelation by Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the mark of the beast, and learn about the new heaven and the new earth. Join Michael Lance in these DVD series of the dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVDs, all available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. A Christian, by definition, is alive, but you, says Jesus, are dead. What an indictment. Can you imagine if, you know, some churches do this, they ask outside consulting agencies to come in and assess the church. And it's always a good idea to get a healthy outside perspective. I'm not sure about what's done in the modern day, but it's always good to hear from a visitor. Hey, what do you see in our church? What do you think? Can you imagine if you got a written report from one of these consultant agencies and it was a one-line sentence? Our, our uh, sum- summation on your church is, you are dead. <laughs> Close the doors. Nothing's happening there. You'd go, oh my goodness. That's, that's a sad commentary. But get this. The Lord of the church, who walks among the lampstands, walks among his people, his assessment of Sardis is it's dead. Dead. Now, when something is dead, here's the hope. God can bring life where there is death. That spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, amen? Amen. God is the God of resurrection. So even though the assessment is that the church at Sardis is dead, there is always a chance if Jesus is around that life can come even where there is death. She's not dead, she's just sleeping. Jesus said to the little girl, I go to wake my friend Lazarus, right? It had been four days. King James language, one of the sisters says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. I'm not sure. Should we do this? Roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead came forth in the grave clothes and all. And he was unbound. And Jesus, you got to love Jesus, said, Jesus said, get him something to eat. That's, that's my... That's my Lord. I love those priorities right there. (laughs) What do you say to a dead church? What does the young pastor in Oklahoma who put the mirror in the casket say to a dead church? (laughs) Well, there's not a whole lot of options, but here's the main option. Wake up! Get up! If you have had or do have teenagers in the house, You know exactly what this looks like. Wake! You you feel like they're gone, man. What's going on? Nothing. A train can pass by the front yard. And they don't awaken from their slumber. 
Sometimes I'll hear, you know how you have those phone alarms now where you can set your little, the, the, the old alarm clock is a thing of the past. Now you just put, you know, you set like three alarms in a row just in case, and, right? So the thing goes, well, for some reason, I am the only one tuned into the frequency. Or I let the dog out in the backyard. And I have to let the dog in. I say, I make these kinds of pronouncements in the middle of the home. Does anyone else hear the dog barking? And then I look around and realize that everybody in the house has headphones on. So there you have it. Wake up. What do you say to a Christian who, for all intents and purposes, looks like they're lifeless? Wake up. I think there's uh, some translations. In fact, if you have a New King James out there, does it say be watchful or something to that effect? Um, so think about the city situation. I think there's, there's manuscript streams that could render it wake up. Some, some commentators I read this week said, it's maybe better be watchful. Think about the city of Sardis and think about how the city mirrors the church. They left areas unguarded. They were not watchful and paid the price. And so the exhortation from the Lord of the church to the church at Sardis is, be watchful, wake up. How many times did Jesus say that in his earthly ministry? He said, be watchful and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Wake up, watch out. In the Olivet Discourse, in the end times teaching that Jesus gives, he says, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know the day or the hour. Be awake, be alert. Don't fall asleep. Wake up and strengthen. Look at verse 2. Here's the remedy for the church. Strengthen the things that remain. Well, what things may remain? Could it refer to people? Well, here it speaks of things, and it could speak of spiritual realities here, things that remain, which were about to die. There seems to be a glimmer of hope here that there's things that are about to die, but there's, there's hope. Um, you know, sometimes we can think of, in terms of relationships. Sometimes we think in terms of a company. We look at a company and the business is not going so well, and we say, man, that company looks like it's about to die. It's about to die, but it's not dead yet. There's always hope. And so Jesus says, wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Now Jesus, although he is God, often referred to his Father as my God and your God. From the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. So Jesus addresses his father in that way. And don't let that throw you off because in Hebrews 1.8, the father calls the son God. So for the son to call the father God is not an issue. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't God. But here Jesus addresses and says, my God. Now, what was going on in Sardis? What, what was the issue for the Christian community in Sardis that was uh, spoken of as dead by Jesus Christ. I think the issue is this. I think 
that for a lot of them, they did not want to confess Jesus publicly. And a lot of them may have either stayed away from the church or they were playing church because they were trying to protect themselves. Now, uh, to speak about our humanity, we all know that we're human. Uh, we don't all know what we're going to do in a pressure moment, do we? We all think that we would not deny Christ or we would do the right thing if you know, we had pressure from a company or pressure from a friend or we were somewhere where maybe you know, there was a lot at risk. We don't know. Maybe you've blown up before. Maybe you, you have been in a situation where you should have spoke up. How many of you have regrets in the past where a, a discussion's going on in the family or the company and you knew that you should have said something and you kept quiet? Why? Because we, some of us, suffer from non rockabotis Right? <laughs> We don't, sometimes we say, I don't know if I want to rock the boat. That's what I was talking about. That's, that's the Latin, non rockabotus I don't know if I want to rock the boat because, have you ever been here before? I don't want to get into it with this person again. I haven't even taken the first bite of my spaghetti and meatballs. And already they're going to, you know, Christianity and politics. Oh, it could get ugly. Wait until we have at least a bite of the cheesecake and then maybe, right? We have our reasons. And the Christians in Sardis were dealing with something that was pretty serious because if you claim to be a Christian and somebody found out, well, you could pay the ultimate price. And Jesus says in verse three, remember therefore, what you have received and heard. See the idea of received and heard there? Often in uh, some of the sections of Scripture where we have uh, what's called creeds of the church within the text, Paul would say, that which I received, I deliver to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, he'll talk about the gospel. When Paul leads us in the idea of communion from 1 Corinthians 11, he says, that which I received... I delivered to you that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. Well, here, the idea of the language here of received and heard, it was received, it was heard, and I think this, this is gospel language here, and keep it. You've heard, you've received the gospel, you've heard it, it's been proclaimed to you, and keep it, and notice, once again, we see a church in the book of Revelation that is called upon, look at verse three, middle of the verse, to repent. It is true that the, the seven churches, I think five of the churches are called to some sort of repentance or uh, remedy to their problem. It is true that Christians do need to repent. Now, not repent in the sense of the first time you receive Christ, but repent in the sense that sometimes we need to turn away from stuff, right? When you share the gospel with someone, you... You often describe repentance as doing a 180 on the road of life. Metanoia, a Greek word, change your mind, change your heart, change your actions. Well, as Christians, oftentimes, and you may have been there recently, you know, you bow your knee to pray and you all of a sudden go through a list of things that you need to repent of. Can I get a witness? Oh Lord, I should be doing this, but this week I failed. I should be doing this. I need to amend this. I need to change this. Look, if if you go through that in prayer, join the club, because we all do. Well, you know, every Christian 
fall short of the glory of God every single day. That's not really the issue. The issue is, are you growing? And when there is something in your life that is amiss or something that you've fallen into that's a sinful pattern, well, believers repent of sin. And and I think it's become really clear as we've studied Revelation 2 and 3 that repentance is not just for unbelievers, it's for believers. And when we change our mind, change our attitude, change our direction, what we're saying is, Lord, I want to go your way and not my way. I want to go your way and not the world's way. I'm going to adjust what you say, my life What it's supposed to look like, I'm going to adjust my life to your word until Christ is formed in me, Galatians 4.19. What a rich couple of chapters this is in the book of Revelation. So I'm so glad you're with us, you're uh, listening, you're hearing the verses broke down verse by verse, and prayerfully for all of us applying it to our lives. Well, I want to thank you for listening to Walk in Truth. I'm Pastor Michael Lance. Remember, you can listen to today's teaching on our website, walkintruth.com. On your favorite podcast app, just search for Walk in Truth and hit subscribe. Now, I'm blessed to know that you are listening, and I want you to continue to do so and invite a friend and tell them what you're hearing on this station. Now, if you're not currently in fellowship, I want to encourage you to get into fellowship, get connected with the body of Christ or reconnect if you need to. And make sure that you come back on Monday as we continue the teaching on the Church of Sardis known in the book of Revelation as the dead church. We want to do everything we can to be alive. And if we have the Spirit of God reigning, we are going to be alive in Him. We're going to learn more about that on Monday. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. God bless you. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.